This is Marriage to the Max, episode number eight. Welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host, Brett Hurst. And I'm Kelly Hurst. And we're marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And as always, this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. In this episode, we are honored to part two with our very special guest, Adam Mason, who's the Minister of Counseling Services at Houston's First Baptist Church, and we had some rich conversation in part one, and we just want to pick it up and move on into interesting points of discussion. Uh, Adam, I've, I've heard you talk before about having a good theology of suffering, which I couldn't agree with you more. I, I would love for you to just unpack that in the context of how that plays into a married couple's life. Well, hello again, Brett and, and Kelly. <laughs> And, and thank you for opening with such a small question. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I appreciate that softball <laughs> <laughs> question. Uh, we like to ask, ask deep questions to our guests. <laughs> as we move through life and as we move through life within our culture, one of the things that we have discovered is that there are elements of our culture that are contrary to biblical truth. Mm-hmm. And any time that happens, uh, as Christian educators, it becomes very important for us to point out that there's elements of truth that are not being followed. There are, are, there are areas uh, of untruth that we are embracing almost without thought because it's culturally appropriate to do so. And suffering is, is one of those areas that's there. If you look at our society and you look at the way that American pragmatism has impacted the way in which we move, mm. you could define it like this, that there is a moral currency mm-hmm. that's based upon a particular coin. And on one side of that coin in, in our moral economy is the pursuit of pleasure, and the other side of that point, a coin is the avoidance of pain. Mm. Say it again. The avoidance of pain. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so virtually every social ill mm-hmm. that you can discover in our society, not just in the Western world, but, but worldwide really, comes down to either the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are rooted in a theology of suffering that says that suffering is the ultimate evil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And therefore, suffering should be avoided at all costs or comforted at least at all costs. Right. And it's a deception that's there that really is ruining marriages. Mm -hmm. Because a couple will get married and they will begin to relate and they find that marriage is perhaps more difficult than what they thought mm-hmm. and they begin to experience suffering. And because our cultural told, has told us that suffering is wrong, well, if I'm suffering by marriage, then there's something wrong. Maybe I married the wrong person. So this gets right to the heart of what you were saying in our last episode about skewed expectations, which is what we encounter constantly when we're in conversations with couples. Absolutely. You, know, you used a Tom Cruise quote that, the person completes me. Mm-hmm. That it seems like that we're looking for that in marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the average age of first-time marriage now, I think, is 26 for women, 27 for guys. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at individuals who have already established a career. Mm-hmm. They already have a house. 
Uh, they've already started their retirement plan. They're plans. getting in a groove. They're, they're in a groove, and they're saying, you know, there's something missing from my life. Mm -hmm. So I need to marry a person who's going to fill this void. Mm -hmm. okay. And so they get married, and they're not interested in integrating two lives. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in becoming what the Bible calls one flesh, mm -hmm. other than the flesh aspect of that. Right. They're really not integrated in losing their own identity and developing a new identity together in, in marriage. Rather, they want to fill a... Pleasure compartmental niche. Is Absolutely. That... Mm. There's a loneliness, there's, you know, whatever that, that's missing, mm -hmm. and marriage is going to fill that. This other person's going to fill that. Mm. Well, as soon as that person doesn't fill that, and we experience that suffering, we experience that pain, we begin to think we've made a mistake. Mm. We begin to think that perhaps we've married the wrong person. Whoops. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then the fix for that, you know, is, of course, divorce, mm -hmm. you know, to move on. And uh, there was some research that came out uh, a few years ago that talked about starter marriages. Hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who will get married and, as kind of a starter marriage, trying it out, testing it out, seeing how it works. Like and, a pilot episode. Right. And then getting yeah. out of that. And I, I think, if I remember correctly from, from Gottman's research, that close to half of the divorces that occur occur within the first two years of marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it's a significant number for sure. And it's a sense of, oops, this person's not meeting my needs, I've made a mistake, I need to get out of this, I need to, need to move on. Mm -hmm. didn't, didn't find my soulmate, thought I did, mm -hmm. I was close, mm -hmm. and in our disposable mm -hmm. mindset, we move on to the next attempt. Right. You know, the level of pleasure or satisfaction or comfort I'm receiving doesn't meet the level of suffering that I'm experiencing mm -hmm. in this. The, the balance there is not an acceptable balance. Mm -hmm. So I just need to cut my losses and move on. Right. Mm -hmm. okay. And when you look at, at that worldview of suffering, and then you set that aside for a moment and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about suffering? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you have classic passages like in James 1 that talks about the trials that we experience developing character and increasing our trust. It's very then, necessary. Absolutely, that God uses that. And then Romans 5 mm -hmm. that says that our hope is developed mm -hmm. along with our character as a result of the suffering we go through. Then we begin to see that suffering is actually a part of the process of sanctification that we are, as, as Paul defines, flesh and spirit. Mm -hmm. And that when we become believers, when we become Christians, uh, then the Holy Spirit is placed within us when we receive that. Um, the Holy Spirit's job mm -hmm. is to aid in the process of sanctification, and that essentially is the dying of the flesh mm -hmm. being replaced by the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Now, that process is not going to be completed until we're face-to-face -face with our Father in Heaven, right. and we call that glorification. Right. You know, it's a three-stage process, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Mm -hmm. So what I hear you saying is that suffering is indeed a boon, it's a blessing, it's a favor to us. Of course, none of us would go out and seek out suffering. That would be the definition of insanity. Mm -hmm. But in God's economy, suffering is used mm -hmm. to benefit us and to grow us in character and yeah. perseverance and so forth. Biblical suffering is the death of the flesh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean that, and that ultimately is what we want to become the people that God created us to be. Mm -hmm. But what we find is that because of our commitment to our comfort, that while God is trying to put our flesh to death, we're running around putting it on life support. Mm -hmm. We're doing those things that feed our flesh because we all have those pet sins. We all have those pet aspects of our flesh that we're not quite really willing to let go of. Well, yeah. maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about me. Yeah. And so it, it becomes contrary to that process. And so we become adversaries to the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. 
And then we wonder why we're having problems in our marriage. Right. Well, we're never going to be content in any of our relationships when we're adversaries with the work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. instead of partners with what he desires to do. That's really interesting. The last episode uh, we were talking about in covenant marriage, how I think you were saying something along the lines that both spouses help discern better information about each other and, and so forth. What, what are very practical ways to do that? The, the concept of entering into the battle for each other's souls mm-hmm. you know, can be a very romantic concept. It's certainly, uh, there's something within me that stirs when I think about that as being something that's very noble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it appeals to your manliness it, it, to it do does, that. It yeah. does, to be able to say that I can be there and I can step into that yeah, I get battle. That. You know. uh, the first practical step is to deal with my own sinfulness, mm-hmm. to deal with my own woundedness. Mm-hmm. You know. The reason as, as believers that we confront our woundedness, and, and this is very important, the reason we confront our woundedness is not for healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some woundedness that God chooses to heal, and there are some woundedness he chooses not to heal. That's mm-hmm. up to him. Mm-hmm. And we have to let go of our obsession with our woundedness for the purpose of healing. We have to embrace our woundedness to understand the limitations and the strategies that Satan uses in that woundedness to try to derail us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? to see the, how we are drawn aside and how we are distracted by that. It's a holding captive every thought, making it obedient to Christ, and to know that because I've been wounded in certain ways, that I'm vulnerable in those ways. And those are going to be the ways that Satan is specifically going to step in and make accusations. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so to deal with my woundedness, to deal with my sinfulness in a way that is humble, not in a way that's prideful, in a way that releases expectations mm-hmm. versus a way that builds more expectations. So I can focus on becoming the person that God created me to be and then begin to say to myself, how do I most clearly experience God in my spouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are those elements that are there? And I did this exercise in a marriage conference that someone else was leading several years ago. And as I wrote down the ways that I experienced God in my spouse, I discovered that those were all the ways that bugged me the most. <laughs> those were all the behaviors I didn't like. Yep. Because those were the behaviors that were the least like me. Hmm. And I discovered that I married someone who was very different from me. You did. And then from that point forward, I began to try to change her to make her more like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what insanity. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a big club. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so to say, okay, once I realized that those were the ways that she represented Christ to me, those were the elements, hmm. you know, the, her spontaneity, her, her creativity. Changed everything. Um, her, her relationship focus, her ability to be very, very present in the moment mm. at the sacrifice, perhaps, of some future thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, when I realized that those were ways that I experienced God, it changed everything, as you said, for me. Mm-hmm. And I began to value that. And then I began to say, what can I do? Instead of trying to quash that mm. or criticize that, mm-hmm. what can I do that can actually encourage that mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go Why ahead. do you think that happens? Because we talk about that when we're teaching married life prep, you know, in our engaged couples, and we'll talk about, you know, you're engaged to someone who's so different from you, and all of the opposites just endear you the more. And then a couple of years into marriage, those very things start irritating you. Mm-hmm. What happens? That mm-hmm. is it just the proximity of being together every day, or what? What do you think happens that mm-hmm. those things that we thought were so cute are now bothering us? Right, right. I heard a preacher express it this way one time. He said, before marriage, opposites attract, and after marriage, opposites attack. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's true um, <clears throat> that 
we are threatened by people who aren't like us, that there's uh, an inherent insecurity that we struggle with. And the core of that really is our longing to be closer to God, mm-hmm. that we misinterpret that because we don't oftentimes live deep enough mm. to really experience that. Mm. But in an insecurity, when someone is different from us, there's a way that we have infer- of interpreting that that means we're wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm. And rather than face the fact that I might be wrong, it's much easier to think the other person is wrong. Right, mm-hmm. project it. change. Mm-hmm. Because both can't be right. Right. You know, that if... If the rule is we plan our weekend on Sunday before the weekend gets here, and we can't change that on Friday, that's bad. If that's the rule, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm married to someone who's spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm on the way home on Friday, I find there's been a whole other set of plans made for the weekend. Uh-oh. Then that's something I need to change, <laughs> right? right? Mm-hmm. Instead of being able to embrace that that's who she is. And my way of managing the world is, is really a part of my strategy mm-hmm. for trying to uh, sinfully manage the world around me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a great explanation. And you're listening to Marriage to the Max. Welcome back to Marriage to the Max, and we are continuing our conversation with Adam Mason. Uh, Adam, if a couple, if a married couple is experiencing severe addiction or abuse or something that's really particularly traumatic, is marriage counseling alone going to be sufficient? Uh, I don't think marriage counseling is designed to be sufficient really for any issue. Hmm. I think of marriage counseling as intense discipleship or intense community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's only designed to take place in the context of a broader community for the couple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if a couple's isolated and they're not in a biblical concept of of community, then they're already isolated and they're already having difficulties just because they're not within uh, community. And counseling is not sufficient to meet those needs for the couple. Because you've got to get back to the foundational issues. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, let me, counsel- let me ask. Sure. I'm sorry. Let me ask it a different way. When you're counseling a, a couple that has primarily come to you for issues that seem to be more about how to get along better in marriage or conflict resolution or, or something along those lines, and then in the going through that process, you find out that there is an addiction issue or an abuse issue. And I know there's no cookie-cutter answer to this, but do you counsel that couple to tackle the addiction issue, let's say, before moving forward with the other issues that are more relationally based? Whether we're talking about addiction or abuse, and they're two very different topics, both of those are behaviors in a marriage that need to definitely be managed before you can talk about reestablishing trust or intimacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those things are such poison. They're, they're such acid, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, on the issues of trust and respect 
and love within a marriage that they have to be dealt with. Because people are getting clobbered in those situations yeah. by whatever the issue is. Absolutely, absolutely. So need to be addressed. Uh, so you can begin to relay a foundation mm-hmm. uh, of trust and respect and love in the relationship. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I'm hearing you say that really marriage counseling shouldn't be done in a vacuum. It, it needs to be a part of a bigger community absolutely. of support and accountability. And I think that's... That I love that idea. Where I think we run into trouble is when we try to destigmatize counseling in general. You know, there's so many people who they run into problems with their marriage. They either, you know, don't know a counselor to call. Maybe they don't have a church home, so they don't have a pastor that they know. And they're scared to death to tell anyone that they know that they're having trouble in their marriage. Mm -hmm. And so they just keep trying to manage it by themselves like this little island. But so many of them, if you say, well, let's find a good counselor for you, it's, oh, we, we don't want marriage counseling. How do you, how do all of us, I guess, in the marriage education world, um, help people to understand that that's a good thing, even for healthy marriages? Well, to, and it, let me just jump in and say, it can be a good thing because yeah. there's a lot of lousy counseling well, that's out there, true. too. <laughs> that's just true, to be but, blunt. Uh, but good counseling is a biblical idea. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be receiving counsel from people who can pour into our lives. And so how do we sort of, even within the church, how do we sort of destigma that? I don't think that's an easy process because we've gotten so far away from the concept of biblical community. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to move somebody from um, not feeling well today to chemotherapy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is uh, a process that's unnatural. It's it's abnormal. It doesn't feel right. It feels mm-hmm. very threatening. Okay. It's moving too quickly. Uh, if counseling is intense community, you know, then there are steps that should be in place before a person moves to counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, there should be uh, dis- intense discipleship even mm-hmm. be- before. And that, in the world of marriage ministry, we would define that as having a marriage mentor, mm-hmm. a couple right. that that comes along beside a couple. And I think so many issues in marriage can be resolved by a good marriage mentor that don't necessarily need to be in the counselor's office, Mm -hmm. you know, and just so they can glean wisdom and experience from that couple. Absolutely. You know, and and use the term uh, earlier in our conversation about normalizing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, that when you begin to normalize what takes place within a marriage, Mm -hmm. that brings a certain relaxation Mm -hmm. to the the couple that's there. And marriage mentors do a great job of that. Mm -hmm. Well, marriage mentors function best uh, when a couple's been in a community. Right. And if a couple's participating in a biblical community where they're coming together and they're doing life together and and they're being honest with their prayer requests Mm -hmm. and they're being honest with their struggles, then moving to a marriage mentor couple and asking for a little bit more specific help is not a big step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they worked with a marriage mentor and they walked beside a marriage mentor for a while and they realized that there are certain issues that aren't getting resolved, there seem to be some strongholds, if you will, mm-hmm. and then moving from a marriage mentor to a marriage couple, to a marriage a therapist, in particular a good, strong Christian counselor, uh, that's a natural step for yeah. that process. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that makes but sense. But because so few of our couples are really active in community, we find that that in and of itself is part of the issue. Mm-hmm. It's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. We're trying to move them from being an isolated couple with no community, no experience doing life with anybody mm-hmm. other than being other than their spouse, and they're doing life poorly mm-hmm. at best there. Moving there to this intense marriage counseling situation, that's, that's a difficult, abnormal mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. So in this normalization 
um, stream, there's tremendous power when a experienced couple comes into another couple's life and it's transparent, mm -hmm. and then that mm -hmm. kind of can begin the process of, sure. of creating this normalization we're talking right. about. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, if you want to get couples more comfortable with going to marriage counseling, mm -hmm. I would say you need to get them involved in biblical community. Mm -hmm. That's step number one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. Our churches have become great gathering places, mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily great communities, mm -hmm. as we define biblical community. Mm -hmm. Adam, you lead a lot of different types of marriage retreats for those who either live in the Houston area or could get to the Houston area. Um, what typically would a uh, married couple experience if they go on one of your marriage retreats? I hope the primary thing that they would experience would be God, the presence of God. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is to transform us. Uh, the power of a counselor is more in the area of changing us, and I value transformation so much more mm -hmm. than change. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the change is really related to pain. You know, and we see this in secular counseling that a, a individual, a couple, is experiencing a certain amount of pain. And that's what motivates them to pick up the phone and call the counselor. And they call the counselor, made the appointment. They feel relief. Okay, I have an appointment. This person seems to, to know what they're doing. There's hope. Yeah, there's hope. So immediately the pain level's gone down. Mm -hmm. Well, when the pain goes down, what's happened to their motivation for change? Mm -hmm. It's gone down as well. Mm -hmm. That's why ultimately so many people drop out of secular therapy before it's finished. Mm -hmm. Because secular therapy has helped and the pain level has gone down, mm -hmm. but the motivation's gone down as well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So they're running away from something. Mm -hmm. right. in, in Christian counseling, and particularly in, in the way that we try to do the marriage conferences, we try to create a vision. We try to create a vision of, of who God called us to be. We try to create a vision of who God, of what God created marriage to be. And so a couple that comes to one of these uh, spiritual formation-based uh, marriage conferences hopefully will catch a clear vision of the person they were created to be. What does it mean to be a man of godly strength? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a woman of godly beauty? What does it mean to have the sort of relationship where those two things come together? And in that vision, we hope that they'll experience an element of brokenness. It might sound strange, mm -hmm. but oftentimes we find that when a person catches a clear glimpse of who they really are mm -hmm. and of what God has for them, it does lead to a sense of brokenness, mm -hmm. uh, a sense of letting go and allowing God to move in and take over. And, and then that releases that passion that comes out of brokenness. Mm -hmm. And that's what fuels their movement towards the vision. And we find that rather than moving away from pain, and the further you get away from pain, the less motivation you have, the vision becomes almost like a finish line for a marathon runner. Mm -hmm. And the, when that finish line comes into sight, what happens? Mm -hmm. They're encouraged. Right. And, Give and that the closer last they get to yeah. that, and, and the more that we move towards that vision of who God created us to be, mm -hmm. and the more we move towards that vision of the marriage God created us to have, the more energized we become. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Very good. Excellent. Well, Adam, we are very grateful to you. This has been a meaty conversation, and I know this has uh, given Kelly and I personally a lot of fodder for our driving in the car conversations, which we have all the time as we <laughs> move from one uh couple situation to another, and I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights uh, with us, and uh, we hope to have you back sometime. So, Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org, and you can also check out homeencouragement.org 
you'd like to email us, our address is thehursts, H-U-R-S-T-S, at homeencouragement.org. And Kelly always wants me to say, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, (laughs) so please do that. Again, uh, until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.